All right. Good morning. Show of hands. How many of you are loving the cold weather? Wow, I thought it would be all of you. How many of you are like total Floridian? You're like, this is, needs to go now. <laughs> More of you feel that way. I love it. I like that. That, that means you'll stay around church forever. And uh, never move. I'm glad we got that out of the way. But uh, well, we're going to start a new series today in the book of Colossians. So if you have a Bible, you can just you can go right there. And uh, I also want to encourage you, if you are a note taker or if you've uh, been like me, you've always just wished you were a note taker. Anybody like see other people journaling their whole life and like after 10 years, they have like all of their life history like documented for their children. And you're like, yeah, I probably should have done that for the last 20 years, but I didn't. So woohoo! Um, wherever wherever you are on that spectrum, um, there are a couple places that we've made available for you to follow along a little more closely with uh, the sermon notes, and one of those is in a binder. We've got some RCC journal binders over there in bin number four. Uh, let me encourage you to grab one, and then every week of this series, there's going to be some notes that you can follow along and uh, hold on to in that binder and be able to look back and uh, as you are doing your devotions and your personal time and follow along in that way and watch what God's teaching you, help you remember that, uh, and that'll be a good way. It's also those same notes are available in the YouVersion Bible app. So you can get on there, get on your uh, app store, whatever it is, if you are not a Christian on your Android, and if you are a Christian on your iTunes store. Is that not true? I thought I read that somewhere. <laughs> Jake's gone. He just, uh, he, he's out. <laughs> he's, he has a flip phone, so it's okay. And, uh, but uh, I made all of that up, of course. <laughs> but... I'm really glad you're here. This, this series, what I want to do is walk you through uh, an entire book of the Bible. And if some of you have never done that and you're horrified by that right now, uh, don't worry. It'll only take three years, so you have to be here the whole time. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That, that happens sometimes, but uh, it's not going to happen here. But what, what I want to do is walk you through a whole book of the Bible and allow you to see what God was doing and what the Apostle Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was doing when he wrote this book to a church. Colossae was a kind of an interesting city. At one point, uh, Colossae was a really thriving city. It was big. It was booming. It was happening. And then a major road that ran through it was shifted to the west. And so Colossae was about... Uh, 10, 10, 15 miles east of a city called Ephesus, which has another book of the Bible, uh, Ephesians. And really, Colossae lost its significance to Ephesus. And so what's interesting about this city is as it was booming and then uh, grew really small (laughs) and lost their significance, and then we have Paul planting a church in Ephesus and uh, things booming around the area, uh, Colossae, a guy named Epaphras, plants a church there. And one of the things that I find so fascinating about this book is it's really kind of an alignment for the church. Uh, they had some leftover stuff from being a booming city, and then they also had some new stuff that they'd never had to deal with because they were a new church in a small city. Uh, now, Tampa might feel big to you, but in the scope of booming metropolises, uh, we're not quite there yet. 
And uh, we, we, we are not Chicago, we are not L.A., uh, we are Tampa, and we're proud of that. But, <laughs> but there, there are some interesting parallels for you and I, uh, living where we live, facing the things that we face, uh, that they did and that Paul wrote to. And how many of you know that the Bible uh, is a timeless book? It's amazing to me every time. Uh, that I read through it, and all the years uh, that we as humans have read through it, over the centuries, that this book still stands the test of time. And so uh, I, I want to just draw your attention to the beginning of it today. And what was really happening, the leftovers that were happening in Colossae were this. Basically, there was some Gnosticism and there was some Jewish legalism. And where Paul's going to come in is he's going to lay out for them why the fact that Jesus being king trumps everything, pun intended. All right. So look at how this book opens. It says, Paul, some of you will get that this afternoon while you're eating lunch and you're going to laugh because that was funny. And uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, I would just circle that in my Bible. Uh, the first thing that I want you to wrap your head around, and if you're taking notes, these are the first two blanks on number one. Jesus is the most important person who has ever lived. Amen. Jesus is the most important person who has ever lived. Now, you might be sitting in church thinking, uh, yeah, that's why we're here. But I want you to think about that. I, I want you to really Stop yourself today. Set aside the stuff that's happening in your heart, that's happening in your mind, that's happening in your soul. And I want you to think about the fact that Jesus Christ is the most important person who has ever lived. Because flowing out of that determines how you live your life. It completely determines how you live your life. Because if you don't actually believe that he's the most important person that has ever lived, uh, you are not going to be committed to doing the things that he has called you to do. You just won't. If, if in my marriage, I don't think Camden's opinion is the most important opinion about the decor of my house, uh, things are going to go south fast, right? If, if I don't believe that this book is the most important thing about my job. It's going to change the way we do church. In your life, if Jesus isn't the most important person, more important than your kids, more important than your spouse, more important than your boss, more important. And, and okay, so that seems simple. But what happens when your boss has a different idea than Jesus? What happens when your spouse has a different idea than Jesus. What happens when your kids try to take over the world and uh, leave you trampled in the dust behind them? Which they will. They will. Who's most important? The most important person that has ever lived is Jesus. Think about it. More songs have been written to him and sung about him. More paintings have been painted of him. I mean, we can just go on down the list. He's the most important person 
who has ever lived. But there's a second question baked into that first statement. You never heard so much about the first four words of a verse, did you? But think about it. He says, I'm Paul, the apostle of Christ Jesus. He's making a statement about who he has oriented his life around. It's Christ. He's the most important person that has ever lived. But Paul was writing a letter to a church that he didn't start. That's significant because a lot of these churches that Paul's writing to, they know him to Paul. Why should you listen to Paul? The second blank there that I think you need to think about today is who will you learn about Jesus from? Have you ever thought about that? This is especially important in this day and age where you can take your phone and you can get Bible teaching from literally anywhere in the world at any second. You can get it in video. You can get it in uh, audio. You can get it in print. You can get Bible teaching about Jesus from anywhere in the world at the snap of a finger. You have to think about who will you learn about Jesus from? Because if Jesus is the most important person in the world who has ever lived, then you're going to orient your life around him, which if you're here today, you've probably decided that. Who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to listen to? When you come to church here, hopefully you're going to listen to this and not this. It's important. But when you go to the bookstore or when you get on Amazon or when you click on your podcasts or when you get on YouTube, who will you learn from? Paul's making a really important statement here. He's saying, I'm Paul, but I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus. He was identifying where he was going to land with his teaching. Because what's interesting about Gnosticism, what was left over from Gnosticism in Colossae, uh, and I'm just going to boil this down really fast. There's a lot more you can study about that. And if you get a good study Bible, you can, you can do that. But Gnosticism basically boiled down to this. They didn't believe that Jesus was actually God. That he was some sort of emanation from God and that he was a, a really good guy and a really good teacher, maybe even the best teacher. But he wasn't God. The problem with that is Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And then he said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. Jesus claimed to be God. And so Paul's going to address that, and we're going to talk next week about why Jesus is the most important person who has ever lived but gnosticism was creeping in and paul's going to set the record straight and let everybody know jesus is god jesus is king and he deserves all of your attention but the second thing that was still there is uh, colossus kind of an interesting city it was mostly gentiles mostly people like you and me just a mixed bag um, and all kinds of good things but it also had some Jews that were there and some Jews that were living there and they were doing life together and they were uh, coming together to worship Jesus in this church that Epaphras planted. 
And so Paul also is going to address the idea that Jesus is not enough to get you to God. So you've got these two competing realities where Jesus was a great thing, a great guy, but he's not God. And then on the other hand, that he's God, but he's not enough. Matters. And so Paul's going to kind of give us an alignment. You know what alignment is? I'll never forget. There was a time I was driving in Clearwater down US 19 and I was up going up over one of these overpasses and I had a white Jeep Wrangler. It was awesome. I was cool. And uh, but the problem was, is I like to work on that thing by myself. And uh, there's a few things that I, I, I didn't know. Like when you saw them like, the wheel, the steering wheel just got, I'm like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And then the wheels, you know, you're going straight and all of a sudden they go, boom, right into the side. And you're like, so like, first of all, you're like, I'm going to die because I'm going to flip off the side. Thank God I didn't. There was a nice solid concrete wall that I slammed into instead. But then you like, you come to rest and you're like, oh, I didn't die. And then you look in your rearview mirror and people are coming at 100 miles an hour over the thing. And not seeing you and, you know, flying around. And you're like, I'm going to die. I think I literally called Kim and I was like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And she's like, what happened? I'm going to die. Right? What happened? My alignment went completely off because I didn't know what I was doing. Right? I, I knew enough to get me in trouble. <laughs> Paul is going to write to this church and he's going to say, listen, you know you know some stuff, and Epaphras is a fellow faithful minister of Christ, but let me just set the record straight about King Jesus in your life. And what I want to do with you over the next few weeks is look at this book, and let's just realign ourselves. Let's just realign what we believe with what the Bible teaches about the most important person who has ever lived. And that's what we're going to do. So, but I want to I start here with these next two, number three and number four on your notes, and uh, look at just a couple things through the first 14 verses of this. Okay, so let's read it together first. All right, here's, here's what the Bible says in Colossians chapter 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. It's an interesting statement because he's going to correct a lot of things about their theology, but he says that they're faithful brothers. You can have the best intentions, you can be pursuing Jesus and get a lot wrong. <laughs> and so all of us have to come back to the book, have to come back to the Bible and realign ourselves to constantly be in the presence of God, asking the Holy Spirit to lead us back into the truth. Because what does the Bible say? Our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? But to constantly be coming back. Then he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus Christ is not in trouble. Some, some uh, factions of it that aren't truly following him are in trouble. But the church that God is building is not shrinking. It's growing. And it's growing all over the world. So you can be encouraged by that today. Regardless of what you hear in the culture. And Paul's saying the same thing. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, 
He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What a powerful passage. I'll give you two things. The first thing, number three, is in the form of a question again. I want to ask you a simple question. Do you know... The Father Heart of God. You know the Father Heart of God. Paul comes and he and he writes this about what they learned about Jesus from Epaphras, and he's encouraging them and calling them back to the gospel, saying, You can believe in the gospel in the same way now that when you first heard it and it knocked you off your feet and took your breath away and made you cry and rescued you from darkness. You can still believe in that. Why? Because God, our Father, sent Jesus. What an amazing, what an amazing declaration that we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Do you know the Father heart of God today? God the Father, holy transcendent, big, weighty, past finding out, as the scripture calls him, glorious, heavy God, (laughs) looked down at the world that he created, was angered by our sins. But rather than just remain in anger, he was also loving He's just, he's holy, but he's also loving. And his holiness and justice and righteousness. Knowing that, that he sent Jesus to die on the cross in your place and in my place and redeem for himself a church is an amazing, an amazing doctrine. That the doctrine of adoption that God would love you enough to send his own son to make you a son or daughter of the king is the gospel. And I just want to encourage you today, if you've never bowed the knee to Christ, confessed him as Lord, confess it today. Confess Jesus as Lord. Believe that in your heart. Because being adopted into the family of God is one of the most, if not the most precious thing I think it was J.I. Packer who said that justification is the most important doctrine in the Bible, but adoption is the most precious. That God is a father of all the things that he could have chosen to be identified with. He chose to be a father. Some of you didn't have a good father. You can have a good father in God the Father. 
where your earthly father lets you down, your heavenly father will not. God chooses to be known as a father. And that's significant that you would understand the father heart of God because when he comes through here in just a second, and uh, number four there, if you're taking notes, is going to be align your life with Jesus. See, one of the things that's important is that you remember the father heart of God. Because what happens is when you come to these next few verses and you want to align your life with Jesus, because what does it say? It says, verse 10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. How are you doing on that? How are you doing on that? Would you have to change anything if Jesus showed up tomorrow? Would you act any different on Monday if Jesus went to work with you? Yikes. (laughs) Maybe, maybe just a little bit. Probably won't yell at the guy that cut me off in traffic. I probably, you know, would drink decaf coffee because I need to be filled with the spirit, you know. And, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm kidding. I love coffee. I mean, are you are you even saved if you don't drink coffee? I'm kidding. <laughs> My wife would not be saved, and I definitely don't believe that. Here, here's the temptation. Like the Colossians, when, when you hear, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, what do you and I start to do? In 21st century America, we start we start to make our list. We start to make our list. Family, okay, do this better. I'm going to do that better. I'm going to do this better. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. I'm going to read that. I'm going to do better at this. And we start. That's just we just start to make the list. But what does he say? What does he say in verse 11? Okay, verse 10. He says, "Walk in a manner worthy of Christ." And all of us go. Not working out. What does he say in verse 11? Okay, you have to read the Bible. What does he say? May you be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might. Is that what it says? That's not what it says. It doesn't say pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It doesn't say make a huge list. It doesn't say obey or now you're going to hell. It's not what it says. It tells you to obey. You're supposed to obey. I'm not saying you shouldn't obey. You should obey. Are we clear that you should obey? Am I making sense? You need to obey. Okay? You're, You're tracking with me. These next statements aren't, you should not obey. You should obey. Are we clear? <laughs> but how do you obey? How do you strengthen your heart, your soul, your hands, your feet to obey. How do you do that? May you be strengthened with all power. Acts 1.8, that God, the Holy Spirit is going to come on you with power. Look at this. According to his glorious might. For what? For all endurance and patience. With what? With joy. Obedience can be and should be joyful. When you do it in your strength, it's awful. Nobody wants to obey on their own strength. We want to do what we want to do. What's the Bible say? We're all like sheep who have gone astray. Everyone's turned to his own way. Left to ourselves, we want to do what we want to do. But when God, the Holy Spirit, strengthens you with all power, According to his glorious might. 
there's joy. And then verse 12, giving thanks to sanctification happens in your life. You'll never meet the standard. But I love this. He qualified you to do what? To share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So he's done a few things here. He's qualified you. And then look what it says in verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And then what? He's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. The gospel is as relevant for you today as it was the day you accepted Christ. Because every day that you get up, you fall short again. Every time you yell at your neighbor or yell at your spouse or yell at your kids or yell at your boss or talk bad about your boss behind their back or mutter something about your, uh, you know, you fill in the blank. We, we do it all the time. I do it all the time, right? We, we just do because we're sinners. Every time you do something you shouldn't do. Every time you think something you shouldn't do, because that, that's what happens in Matthew chapter 5, right? The Pharisees are like, oh, well, I don't ever do anything I'm not supposed to. Jesus says, yeah, well, you think it. And you're just as guilty. Every time all of that happens, we need the gospel. We need the gospel. And notice, notice the, the grammar behind these words. Notice what God's doing here. None of it has to do with you strengthened by his might, qualified by the Father, delivered by the Father, transferred to the Son to say, my burden is light. That's why. That's why. Because when you get on Team Jesus, when you yoke up with Jesus, whatever your thing's going to be, he says, my burden is light. And that's why. Because he offers to strengthen you. After he has delivered you and transferred you into his kingdom and his power. So tomorrow, when you walk into work, when you go wherever you're going to go, when you show up at school, wherever you go, if you start with, I have the power of Almighty God transferred to me from God the Father who loves me and sent his son for me, who gave his life up for me, so that I could have all power come on me. It won't be as intimidating to share your faith. It won't be as intimidating to say no to temptation. It won't be as intimidating to know that if I say no to this, I have Jesus over here. See, because that's where you and I get hung up, right? We, we don't actually believe the gospel. We actually think that that thing that I want is actually going to satisfy me. It happens every day of your life. If I get angry here, I'm going to feel better. If I give in to temptation here, I'm going to feel better. If I try harder here, I'm going to do better. But what happens? None of that delivers what you want it to deliver. But what happens if I come over here and fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith? He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of redemption. What happens when I start to think that way? I start to do the things that I wish I was doing over here. It's the counterintuitive nature of the gospel that doesn't work the way we think it's supposed to work. Because we know we're supposed to walk in a manner worthy of God, but rather than make our list of how we're going to do that, the Bible says, fix your eyes on Jesus. And he'll deliver you, 
transfer you into his power and his glorious might. And if you'll do it that way, there's joy. How many of you would like to live your Christian life with joy? Man, we all would. We all would. But, but it goes back to these four things that Paul's given us here. Do you really believe that Jesus is the most important person who has ever lived? Do you really believe that? And if you do, who are you going to learn from Jesus about? Because there's some terrible teaching out there. And do you know the Father heart of God? That He's a good Father. And that the Bible says He's for you and not against you. If He was against you, you'd already be dead. You'd already be in hell. And you would deserve to be there. That's the, that's the part that nobody, nobody tells you. That like everybody's like, oh, well, hell, how could a good God throw you to hell? Well, because he's good. <laughs> and you should already be there. I should already be there. But he doesn't. The father heart of God was that he sent Jesus for you. And regardless of where you fall on that, you know, I know there's opinions all over the place. You know, if you're Reformed or if you're Arminian or, you know, all that stuff. But here's what the Bible says. God's not willing that any should perish. And he's big enough to figure that out. He doesn't need a little bitty old me to figure that out for him. He can do it. But he told you that he would come on you with power to be his witness and to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. But to do that, you have to align your life with Jesus. What does it mean to align your life with Jesus? It doesn't mean to pull yourself up. It means to fall in love with Jesus. And when you do that, you'll be strengthened with all power according to his Glorious might. Can I get an amen? Can I get a witness in the church? All right. God is faithful and God is good. That doesn't always look like you want it to look, but it's always right and it's always best. And I want to encourage you with that.